Okay, so welcome back. It's Justin <clears throat> with the Fully Alive Athlete Pastor Channel. We're reading through the Bible. This is day seven. A little bit of delay on this one, but we're going to do seven and eight together. I uh, didn't get a chance to record yesterday due to technical difficulties. So we're keeping it on track, baby. Eight days in to this year, and we are working our way. We're almost halfway through Genesis, and we're halfway through the Sermon on the Mount today. So check it out. So we fit, we saw that God gave Abraham a sign of the covenant in Genesis 17. And now we're in Genesis 18 and 19 today. We're going to be in the New Testament, Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Now, in Genesis 18, Abraham and his wife Sarah receive three visitors, angels, and, and one of them is a, what we think a pre-incarnate uh, Lord, you know, like the Jesus. Uh, so, uh, these angels take on human form along with the Lord and meet with Abraham and Sarah. That is remarkable. Uh, and then they express that Isaac will be born. And Sarah laughs. And that's where you have the famous verse 18:14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And what God does here also is he reveals that these angels are not just here for hospitality. Though Abraham and Sarah break out all the hospitality for them. They're not here just to visit. The angels are on a mission and they're going to go to where Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're going to destroy those cities of the plain because the, the wickedness has come up to God. And the outcry is so great. Uh, they're they're just absolute uh, debauchery everywhere. So as you as as you as Abraham hears that, his instincts look at the connection here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So what does Abraham do? He prays. He intercedes for them. He says, for the sake of the right uh, the righteous, will, will you spare them? Uh, you spare these these right. If, if, if you can find fifty righteous people. Don't sweep them away with the wicked. He prays, and then, and he bargains down with God all the way down to ten righteous people. Yes, if there were ten righteous people, he'd spare the city. Well, he doesn't spare the city. We'll see that in 19. Um, that there are no righteous. Uh, and Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous. No one seeks after God but one, and that's Christ. Well, through the mercies of co the covenant mercies uh, of God, the angels go to Lot, and they drag Lot and his family out of the city. It's a, it's a. I call nineteen the worst chapter in the Bible because uh, at the, at the, in, at night, the men of the city come to Lot's door and demand that Lot turn over the visitors so that they can rape them. It is homosexual debauchery uh, and you know at the worst and this is sort of what was attractive and exciting I think to to lot as he saw this um, free city you know free and there, there's all kind of things to see and, and culture there but it was godless and, and 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 they just would do whatever they wanted to do and and became animalistic in their impulses to to rape uh, visitors, and, and and so the angels uh, pull Lot in uh, and protect him, 
and and you know it. You know it's a lot of commentators say that it's it's not. Oh, it's not homosexuality. They were just trying to be. They just wanted to have these men uh, and greet them. You know, they just wanted to, to show hospitality to them. Well, no, it's clearly sexual in nature. If you look at the text, they want to know them. That's the key word there for for the for the uh, for for a euphemism for uh, intimate relations. You see that same word used back in Genesis four. If Abraham or Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived and bore a child, and and you see the the absurd bargaining that Lot tried to do with the men by handing over his virgin daughters, and it's a point made about that they're virgins, so they'd be more enticing to them uh, to to uh, to take them as a substitute for the angels. It was a gross, gross chapter. Well, the angels. Uh, you know, have nothing to fear from these sinners, and, and so they just blind them, and and, that, and it says that they spend all night looking for for Lot and these men, uh, but then they fall asleep eventually and give up. So here's the thing: these guys, uh, <laughs> yeah, Lot takes him out, or Lot is taken out by these guys, these angels. And as he as he as they're leaving the city, he says, "I can't." They say, "I can't take. I can't do my job to get you out of here because we're going to wipe this thing out." They take him away. Lot Lot's wife looks back, and she's eviscerated. She's turned into this pillar of salt. Uh, and so you see this absolute brokenness and 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 the and the, and the, and the deceitfulness of sin, the harmfulness of sin, and uh, and destroying this wife. You know, she she can't turn away from it. She can't leave it. And then they get to, uh, they, they don't even go to the city that they that they were allowed to go to. They end up hiding in caves, Lot and his daughters. Well, uh, you see a gross sin there too because Lot and his daughters, um, you know, his daughters want, want a man to marry. And they're like, well, we, there's no man, you know, what are we going to do? We're in a cave. Well, they actually could have gone to where Abraham was, not very far away. And his men there, uh, good men could have been had to, to marry these women. Well, they decide they're going to take matters in their own hands. They don't pray. They don't intercede. They don't ask for help from God. They just get their father drunk, and then they have incestuous relations with him, and that's how they produce these these two children who who are ultimately going to become enemies of God. Uh, and you'll see that in the text there too. Their name. Well, it's a horrible horrible situation. If you go to the the New Testament, you start to to read into Matthew six, and you see that. Uh, there are three real um, duties that Christians are going to be involved in that are going to be distinctive in the way we live compared to those whose righteousness is in the way people perceive them. And our righteousness is not in the way people perceive us, but our righteousness is in Christ. Now, so we don't, when we fast, when we give, and when we pray, we're not making a show of it so other people can see it. That's Jesus' point here. He's saying that your righteousness actually needs to to exceed the Pharisees, right? Describes in the Pharisees, he says that in five, he illustrates how they don't even really apply the law, they just go with what's heard, and not what's actually written in the, in the last of chapter five. But in six, he says, look at the outward religious works you do, the giving, the praying, and the fasting. When you do these things, don't be like the Pharisees, because they demand that everyone sees them. But you do them out of gratitude, because you have a righteousness that does exceed the Pharisees, and it's by the grace of God. It's imputed to you through Christ. So give. Give generously. Pray, because nothing is too hard for God. You see the connection there? Our instinct ought to be go to the Lord, not so people will think we're holy and show off, but we go in secret and ask 
for help. We thank the Lord. We, we praise Him. We ask for eyes to see. We do these things because it's who God is. It's not, it's not our righteousness. And then finally we fast because we, don't, we, we want to practice that discipline because it shows us um, that we are dependent upon God. It teaches us that our, our, He is our bread. He is our, our drink. Okay, I hope that's helpful to you guys. I know you've got questions. So I want to see some comments. Leave comments below. Like the video. Share it. Uh, share it with all your friends. Uh, we want to get everybody reading the Bible, and I hope this is a good, helpful recap for you. All right, God bless. I'll see you next time.